Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, and welcome to the Carrie Faith on Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Faith. As an energy healer, psychology, and human behavior specialist, trainer, mentor, writer, speaker, and lifelong student of self-development myself, I am here to support you to manifest your wildest dreams. We make it fun, easy, and predictable on the show with inspiration, motivation, and transformational principles for lifelong change. You can consider me your spiritual guide in your pocket, leading you towards your highest purpose and trusting yourself you are on the right path. I share real conversations with visionary women who are top leaders in their fields after they themselves pivoted and stepped into their higher purpose in life. This show is for the woman who wants it all and more and is ready to step into her infinite power and potential from within. Are you ready? Let's begin. This week, I am so excited to connect with Tamla A. Apple. She is an amazing expert in mindfulness for children, adults, and educators. You have done so much with your background, and it's all coming together so that we can really make the big changes needed in the world. Thanks for being here this week. Thank you so much for having me, Carrie. I'm so excited to be here with you. And you're joining us from where in the world? From Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. Wow. So a Canadian, yay, go Canadians, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I know I've had a lot of Canadians on the podcast. So your background is so deep and diverse. And I love that you have really pivoted, like, from different things. And that's one of the topics that I talk about on the podcast is about stepping up into your power and your purpose and your true passion and making it into a business and a greater impact. So, but I want to hear a little bit about young Tamala. Like when you were a kid, what were you like when you were a kid? Oh, when I was a kid, I was quite busy. I was outside a lot. We had a gravel pit on our farm. I grew up on a dairy farm and there was a gravel pit out back. And so it was probably about a quarter of a mile from the house. And we would go and play in the gravel pit until we heard our mom holler that it was lunchtime or it was supper time. Um, We did so much fun play on the farm that was outside, whether it was climbing trees or um, going and petting the horses working in the garden. It was a lot of outdoor stuff. So, and I, I did grow up feeling like, you know, oh, if only I lived in town, it would be so much better. But realizing now what a blessing it was to have grown up how we did, where we did, you know, we were close enough to town that we could go in. We were only three miles out, but, you know, it was just, it was so peaceful, peaceful. Mm. And there was always people around. There were, there were family, there were neighbors, there were always people coming and going and always people playing cards and games and, you know, doing those kinds of things. And 
I guess that's probably why at our family functions now, one of my favorite things to do is to play games. So playing board games, Scrabble, card games, whatever it might be, and just the conversation that goes with that as well. So that's what fond memories of growing up. How do you think that the farm created a certain sense of character in you? Just curious. That's a really great, great question. You know, my daughter is 19 and she has grown up with a mom who has been really an energy kind of person and has grounded a lot. And I'm a tree hugger. I'll go outside and hug the trees. And, and I, I love being around plants. My mom is the most incredible gardener to this day. She has the biggest, best garden with the, the most wonderful vegetables. And she tries new plants probably every year she tries something new. And, and so my daughter is now um, kind of going into that line where she's doing nutrition and she's, she's loving plants and she's, you know, there's, there's herbology in her future. She's taking her, her uh, master's in herbology. And, and so, you know, it, it's kind of, it's kind of passed along the line that this is important, the, the connecting to nature. And so I think that that's a big piece, a big piece of who I am and the connection between my mom, myself and my daughter. And my sister is, is very much the same as I am. Thank you for sharing that. You know, it, one of my first impressions of you when we've connected is that you're so grounding. And it's something that I really admired in your energy, even just virtually. That's the only way we've met thus far is virtually like in your voice is so grounding to me. And I can feel that it's because I know it's one of my greatest opportunities um, in my energy and personal spiritual development. So it. I'm not surprised that you grew up in the, a garden and it's in your roots, pun intended, <laughs> and that it's it's deep in your uh, genetic line as well. How beautiful. The reason I ask is because I think in our childhood, we pick up our strengths and we really do carry that with us throughout our life, although it looks different throughout our career, both personal and professional. So what was your first career and your professional life? Oh boy, you know what I, I actually took a rehabilitation worker uh, course. So I, that was to work with individuals who have diverse needs. And I didn't actually end up working with, with people with diverse needs. I ended up going into daycare and worked at daycare for uh, six months or a year then I went back to university for education of the deaf and elementary education. So I became a teacher and I worked for about six months in a role as a teacher and said, this really sucks. This really is not what I'm looking for. And so I quit. I said, I will never teach again. And I became an executive director from, for an early intervention program. So then I was in homes of people who had pre-kindergarten children who had diverse abilities. 
So I was helping families to understand how to support their children. I did that for a while. Then I worked at the college teaching early childhood education classes. And then I wanted to put into practice what I was teaching. And so became a pre-kindergarten teacher in a Catholic school division. And I worked at that for 11 years and loved it. I loved working with the little people and I got to work with the families as well. And that is really where I started doing mindfulness and meditation. I had no idea that that's what I was doing at the time. But in my classroom, I had a, it was probably my first, maybe my second year teaching pre-K. I had a group of very rambunctious uh, three and four-year-olds, 16 of them in the class with one, one EA with me. And we sat down one day and we're like, okay, we got to calm these guys down. We got to figure out a way. And so I sat down and I just closed my eyes and I turned some music on and I started to breathe. And pretty soon they started to gather around me mm -hmm. and I started to hum the music and they started to hum too. And then I'm like peeking out of the corner of my eyes and there they are sitting and they've got their eyes closed and they're humming with me. And my EA sat down and we, we did this for, it was about a three minute song and they sat there with me and it was like magic. Then they were calm and I could read to them. And uh, it was amazing the effect that it had on them just by calming my own body allowed them the freedom to calm theirs. So when I was feeling agitated and, and like, oh my gosh, how do I deal with all of these little bodies? <laughs> That's how they felt, right? So bringing them back down was, that was really the first experience that I had in a classroom of, of teaching mindfulness and meditation. And so I taught pre-kindergarten for 11 years at which time I, I had an injury. I, my back was um, really injured from the repetitive motion of the up and down from the little chairs and always squatting to do zippers and, and shoes and everything. And so I had to make a decision of either leaving the profession or switching to a different grade. And I was so blessed to be moved to a grade four classroom. And it was, it was interesting because it was January when my back injury occurred. And in February, I decided, you know what, I'm going to manifest what I want. And I wanted a grade four classroom. I wanted a specific principal who was no longer acting as a principal. He was actually a superintendent, but I wanted him as a principal and I wanted a specific school. So I was putting that out into the field every day. And I was studying angels, I was studying um, energy work, I was studying crystals, and I was studying Mind Valley. So I was doing Mind Valley courses for from the time that I got up in the morning, I would do that for a matter of five hours throughout the day. And I would be meditating for two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon, because oh what else did I have to do? I couldn't move like my back was so that like it was painful to even get up to do anything, get myself a glass of water, turn, I couldn't. And so I was just really focused on, on the energy piece. 
And so putting this out into the universe, grade four, specific principal, a specific school. And I laugh now because I've told this, this story to the principal that I was wanting and he, he chuckles about it now. At the time, he probably wouldn't have. But when I went back to school, I went back for a couple of weeks in June, like I was off for about four or five months. And then when I went back in the fall, I had grade four. I had the school I wanted. And fortunately for me, unfortunately for him, funding was cut. So we no longer needed that extra superintendent in the board office. We needed a different principal. So I got the principal that I wanted. My manifestation came true. And so I, I really felt such joy and knowing that this manifesting really worked. It, I, I brought it to myself. Um, I worked really hard at understand, understanding what grade four was, but I also worked hard at bringing mindfulness and meditation into my classroom. I knew that children need peace in their day because there is so much busyness that surrounds children these days. Mm -hmm. They get up, they, if they have something to eat, that would be great. They go to school, they come home from school, maybe do homework, have an activity outside of the home, whether it's swimming or skating or hockey or what soccer, whatever it might be. Um, they might have a little bit of free time before bed, but oftentimes they don't even have that. Sometimes they have more than one activity after school. And that's four to five days of the week, I'm finding, for a lot of children. So I know when I'm that busy, what happens to me? I know that my mind never has time to slow down or rest. I know that my mind is always looking into the future, which when you're always looking in the future can cause anxiety mm -hmm. or my mind was going into the past. Oh, I should have done this. I wish I would have said that. I, oh, you know, which looking into the past can cause depression. Our children's minds are doing that same thing. Mm. And I knew that. And so I thought, what if I just stop? and take little pauses throughout the day to support them? What if I just take mindful moments where they can just be? And so I started doing that. And the way that I started doing it at first was interesting because my, my background, I, I did suffer from depression and anxiety. And so I learned at one point that I need to take those pauses for myself and I need to do that on a regular basis so that I don't completely shut down. So I practice gratitude daily. When I wake up in the morning, the very first thing I do is practice gratitude. I find five things or more that I can think of in my head to say that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for 
my bed. I'm grateful for the sun shining through the window. I'm grateful for my partner. I'm grateful for my children. I'm grateful for the hot water in the shower, you know, and on and on and on. And the list for me now, when I jump in the shower, it keeps going. Like I'm, I do a lot of gratitude because I, I feel like when I have things that I'm able to be grateful for, it brings more things for me to be grateful for. Mm. So what I started in my classroom then was I would set my timer so that every hour on the hour, my children would do a roundabout of gratitude. So when my alarm would go off at nine o'clock, well, no, not at nine o'clock, at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'll explain the nine o'clock thing in a second, at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, et cetera, when the alarm would go off, one student would start saying, I am grateful for whatever it was. And then the next student and the next student, and would, we would go around three times. And at first the kids were like, I don't know, like cheesies, I'm grateful for, you know, but then it became deeper. Mm-hmm. It became, I'm grateful for my grandma's pumpkin pie. Uh-huh. I'm grateful that my mom hugs me before I leave for school. You know, it became things that were more heartfelt and not just surface. And so doing that every day gave them more things to be grateful for. And as they heard their classmates talking about things to be grateful for, it gave them the opportunity to hear other things that they could be grateful for. And so that was one of the ways that I brought mindfulness into the classroom. And another way, nine o'clock in the morning or 8.55 is when our school started, I would do an energy break. So that's how we started our day, every single day, is we started it with a little tapping routine so that the children could get focused on the here and now, Mm. and so that their scrambled energy could be balanced again. Because when we put a backpack on our shoulder or a purse over our shoulder, it actually scrambles our energy and kind of pulls it apart. So when we do some crossovers like this, it kind of, it not kind of, it reconnects both sides of our bodies. So we would do a little three to five minute tapping routine that I, I kind of changed up from, I gave, took a little bit from Donna Eden and a little bit from EFT tapping and combined them and a little bit of my own energy routine. And so every morning, that's how we would start our day. So. They were at peace when we started, then we would do some work. And then in an hour, we would stop and we would do some more connecting. And another way we connect is we would put our hand on our forehead mm-hmm. because putting your hand on your forehead, it helps to bring blood flow back to your forehead, back to your frontal lobe, you know, and, and it really helps to ground you. So I would ask them to put their feet flat on the floor and feel their feet on the floor and then feel their hand on their forehead. And then I'd get them to put their other hand on their heart, take a deep breath in and then breathe out. And I would get them to do that three times, breathing in through their nose, out through their mouth. 
Yeah. Even when I put my hand on my forehead, I felt energy in my heart chakra because is it pulling the focus and the fear and flight brain back to the front? Is that what's happening? Yeah. You know what it is, is exactly that is your, when you're in fight or flight, your blood actually goes from your extremities and from your skin and it goes to your organs to support your organs because Mm -hmm. the last thing that it needs to to support is your extremities and your skin like it's going to focus on the other areas so if you can bring it back and you can bring it back to your forebrain and back to your feeling your heart you know you can bring it back to focus And you can bring yourself back into a state of calm. And by doing the breathing, focusing on the breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth, you're focusing on that present moment again. And that makes it so that you're here. You're now, you're not, you're not worried about what's happening outside of your body, outside of your classroom. You're just focused on right now. And you know, right now, with COVID happening, children are in fight or flight so much of the time, as are the adults around them. So the adults around them bring that fear and that fight or flight with them into the classroom, into their home. And so the children really are are picking up the adult energy around them and feeling that. So bringing them into the present moment is so important. So we have to do that. We have to show these children how to focus on the here and now, because what happens when you're in a state of anxiety, when you're in a state of depression or fight or flight is your memory isn't what it's, what it is when you're in a thinking mode, when your cognitive state is in a learning mode. When you're in fight or flight, you don't remember the things that you would normally remember. Mm, This explains so much because I never considered myself to have a good memory, even from childhood. And I think it's because I had a lot of anxiety, which is was genetic and and prenatal. And so it totally explains why I didn't have a good memory. Because I was in that fight or flight. I never really quite knew that. I knew it was something to do with the brain. But it it makes so much sense now in retrospect. And how that's affecting even our kids now. Wow. Absolutely, yes. And you know, I spent a lot of of my depression and anxiety in fight or flight, right? Mm -hmm. And when I was in that state, I didn't realize it either. But there are things that happened, um, events that occurred... Um, things that I learned during that time that I have no recollection of Mm -hmm. because my mind was too busy trying to survive Mm -hmm. it wasn't in an actual okay let me hold on to this memory it's it's been put in a part of my mind that I I don't access on a regular basis could I access it I likely could with some support to bring up those memories again, but it's not something that, that I can just bring up. It's not. Yeah. Even in knowing studying psychology, 
those memories perhaps weren't stored in the long term, um, the long term memory. It could have just been short term, and then it never actually gets stored there, and so we can't access it because it was never stored because it was never really placed there, right? Yeah, and that could be too. And so what we need to do when we're thinking about this, we need to think about what we're doing with our children in the classroom. And we need to think about putting these children into a state of presence so that they can learn what we're teaching them and retain it. Because a year from now, two years from now, when they go to retrieve the information that they learned in this grade, are they going to have that, that foundation for what they're supposed to learn two grades from now? Or is it going to be, oh gosh, that was the COVID year or those were the two COVID well, years, you know? I think that's happening just because I can relate you and my daughter's in fourth grade, my son's in seventh grade, but what's happening in the fourth grade right now is that her, teach, their, her teacher, a male teacher, he said, um, the kids are like at second grade level and it's not just even educationally, but it's that social emotional. You said they don't really know how to act in the classroom because I mean, we could dive into that too. They don't know what the proper etiquette for a classroom. And so um, I see that right currently right now. And I hear that from educators. So whose responsibility really is it? Is it the teachers, the parents? In my personal opinion, I think it's everybody's. I think, Me too. I think that it takes a village to raise a child. We need to take a step back and we need to say, how can I help to make this better? How can I help to grow this? Is curriculum the number one thing for children right now? In my opinion, as a teacher, absolutely not. I agree. That is something that I know I would have so many people disagreeing with me, but I'm telling you, children's mental health state, if they are not in the present moment, and if they are not learning in the present moment, you are, you are teaching, you are trying to fill these quote unquote gaps, which I will talk about in a minute too, but you're trying to fill these and you're actually pedaling backwards because if you don't have them in the present moment, they're not ready to learn. You need to get them to a point where they're ready to learn and can learn before you keep going. Now, can, can children learn when they're in a state of fight or flight? Yes, they can. You know, that's, they can, but are they going to retain everything that they would have if they were in another state, if they were in the present moment? No, you're, you're putting them into fight or flight. When you put somebody into the state of fight or flight, it takes them 20 to 60 minutes to recover from that. Wow. So if somebody comes, if somebody were to walk in this door and scare the snot out of me, it would take me 20 to 60 minutes to recover before I could fully be attentive and function properly. So when you consider that and you consider all that our children are going through right now and the adults, like I'm going to say, 
teachers, it is very difficult for teachers right now. There are school divisions, you know, there are, there are so many new things being put on to teachers. Mm-hmm. And so they need to take the time for themselves too. So Absolutely. the mindful minutes are not just for the children. It's for the teachers as well, as well as for the parents. And I think that if the parents could take a minute and you know what, when your kids get home, take a minute or when you get home, whoever's home first, if you're home together, you know, before you make supper or before you head out the door to the next sport, take a minute, do an angel tap, make an angel, make angel Mm -hmm. wings like this and just breathe in and out. Do that for a minute, breathing in and out. And you know what? That takes away so much anxiety. If you're breathing in and out, just do that for a minute. Feel your feet on the floor. Feel your butt on your seat if you're sitting down. You know, feel your breath going in through your nose and out through your mouth. You're helping me so much right now. And I know you're helping helping the listeners because you're helping me just get present in the, with the moment with these simple tools. Mm-hmm. And it's so simple. It's just, that's, that's all it is. You don't need to have anything special with you. And you know, there's, there's another one that I like to do that is easy as well. It's called box breathing. You might've heard of, of this one. It's mm-hmm. you, you take your finger and you're going to draw a box. You start at the top and you, you count to four, you breathe in on your count to four. One, two, three, four. Hold one, two, three, four. Breathe out one, two, three, four. Hold one, two, three, four. And so you do a box counting fours and you do that for a minute. And you know, it just, it again brings you to the present moment because what are you doing when you're counting? You can't be focused over there. Yeah, it's not easy because it's using it's using both sides of the brain, right? And it's integrating right and left. Right. And there is a there's a a quick little video online that is box breathing. And I think it's for a minute and it shows you don't have to worry about counting. It shows you and it shows you this little line going around this box. And it's really great because it just it takes a minute. And if you if you want to do it on your phone, you want to do it on your computer, or if you just want to pretend you have a box and you're doing it around, but taking that time and being present with it, you know, they, they don't work if you're just going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you know, and, and off. So, uh, right. A quick question for you about that, because I have a daughter who's nine and in the fourth grade, I have some tools in my toolbox to show her, but she kind of would approach it like, okay, I'm just going to get it done. And and that's it. Is it, what is advice that you would give to me as a parent or any parent? I think I'm going to, I think I know what the answer is, but what is the advice for parents? I would, I would actually stop them. And I would say, you know what? We are going to do this every day. And so you can choose to do it with me in a calm way and benefit from it. Or you can choose to do it in your way. You're still going to do it for the same amount of time with me. But what's going to happen is if you do it the way that I'm doing it, 
you're going to benefit a lot more than if you rush through it. Mm. But a key is being consistent and doing it every day and doing it at the same time. Mm. And modeling it and just uh, embodying it. Yes. So if you're, if you're like, Oh God, we have to do this again today. You know, that's the energy they're getting. Right. But if you're thinking, you know what, we need to pause for a minute before we do supper. It's a minute. It's a minute, right? A minute of your time. It's like that our kids are just constantly in fight or flight. That's the norm. And so they don't even know how to become present and get out of that fight or flight. So your mission, I know, is to get these tools into the hands of all kids. And who else? Children, teachers, parents. And, you know, right now I have a workshop booked to do for 220 some odd teachers that is in a couple of weeks. And it is the benefits of embedding mindfulness and meditation in the classroom. I have another one that I have created for parents that is um, mindfulness and meditation, what parents need to know during COVID. And so I will have those um, out on a couple of platforms that people will be able to register for them. And they will be evergreen so people can can access them at different times of the year. They can also connect with me though too because I think it's important for people to understand what parts they're in need of right now. And you know, another piece that I do is I work with students to understand how they take action. I work with them to know who they are so that they can accept the person that they are and they can advocate for themselves, not only at home, but in school, they can advocate for their needs. So if a child is somebody who's always looking out the window or looking bored or, you know. That's that's my son, yes. Okay, so he needs to be taught in a different way Mm -hmm. than maybe your daughter, because there are children who should be taught in a way of, you know what, you need all the facts. So what I'm gonna do is I'm going to give you a step-by-step lesson of how you're going to complete your ELA assignment. Your son might need just the bottom line. You need to do this, this, and this. Go ahead and do that, right? And so I work with, with students so that they can understand how they work, how they take action so that they can then say to the teacher, you know what, I only need the outline. I'll go do my work. When I, when I have a question, I'll come back to you. Or the other one where it's like, oh, I don't have enough information. Oh, I don't know where to begin. Then the teacher, they can advocate for themselves by saying, you know what, I need more information. Or if they need hands-on. Or, and so I do a little assessment with them. And the assessment comes back with, with some fabulous results so that they know who they are. And they are awesome. Regardless of how they take action, they take action in the way that is right for them. It's just another, another aspect of the mind because we talk about the cognitive, or sorry, the cognitive aspect, which is the thinking part of the mind. 
we talk about the affective aspect, which is the um, feeling part of the mind. This is the doing part of the mind. And we don't often talk about it. I would love to do that with you or with my kids, mm-hmm. for my kids. Is that available something one-on-one with you? Yes, it is. It's available one-on-one. Yeah, so you can just connect with me, whether it's through Facebook or Messenger, or you can email me as well. I'll leave all your contact information in the show notes, absolutely for the listeners, but I myself am going to use you as a resource so that I can support my fourth and seventh grader currently. And you know, a question, like a last question, what do you think is the lasting effects that we're going to see with these kids, with these young kids in the future? You know, it's, it's an interesting question and it's one that I'm going to, I'm going to start with a little bit of uh, research information before I answer that piece. I read something from, I believe it was Brown University. It could have been, uh, um, Harvard was attached to it though as well, that there was a study done by some childhood psychiatrists who studied children born from January, 2020 to now Mm -hmm. and looked at IQ scores from the past. And I believe it was around 2010 that they were comparing to, to the 2020 to now. And IQs in children born after January, 2020 have dropped by 20 points. So if 10 years ago, they were at 100. This group of children were at 80. Why? Well, there are some theories around that. Part of it is this. Mm-hmm. The we mask. That from birth to three, that is when the most synapses Impression. are created in the brain, right? That's most of the connections in your whole entire life. If you do not see facial expression, you do not know what's, how to read that. If you're not going out and experiencing all of the things that you would have normally experienced, you're missing out on all sorts of language, all sorts of visual cues. You're missing out on sounds you would have heard, things you would have seen, touched, tasted. You're missing out on so many sensory opportunities. So depending now from birth to three is the most important time, but birth to six, also your, your state brain state, you're in a different state of brainwave Mm. in those years. And so, you know, you're learning from what's going on around you, but as you get older, you're still learning from, from all of your surroundings. And if you're not seeing the things you would have normally seen and doing the things you would have normally done, can you possibly be taking in as much information as you were before? And we also know that your brain is in a different state when you're watching television or you're working on the, on a device, which is a lot of what children have been doing now. Mm -hmm. So I guess the answer to that would be, I think that we have done some damage to a generation of people, not just children, 
children and adults, that can, is it reparable? I don't know. I'm hoping. Well, there are always opportunities and the adversity, right? And opportunities to provide these tools and the mindset work and the feeling work, because really it all comes down to our energy. Right. And resilience, right? Yes. Because you can think of so many people who got through such hardships because they were resilient. And so that's the piece that we have to look at. We have to look at how do we do better now, right? And part of it is the mindfulness, the meditation, and being present, being in the present moment. Well, you are making an impact and amazing waves in this field. And it's just beginning, I know. So how can the listeners get a hold of you the best way? They can find me on Facebook. They can find me on LinkedIn and it's Tamela Apple, T-A-M-E-L-A-A-P-P-E-L. And my, my uh, email address you will have in the, in, the show notes. In, the, in the show notes. And those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me. I'm also on um, Instinctive Solutions on that website. So you can look me up there as well. Thank you, Tamala. I am so happy to not just call you a friend and a colleague, I would say, but a mentor to be a better parent myself for this future generation. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me on today. I've really enjoyed our discussion. Thank you for listening and investing your time with me because I believe we are all here to learn, grow, and evolve effortlessly into the future. If you enjoyed what was shared today, I encourage you to subscribe, rate, review, and share because together we can do so much more. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Carrie Faith on Purpose to find out more opportunities to uncover your deepest why.